Welcome one and all to The Movie Guys, your main movie guy Paul Preston here with you for our latest TMG interview. I'm very excited to talk to a producer and director who's been very prolific as of late. Part of a very busy career that spans decades in music management and publishing and 12 plus years as a documentary filmmaker. Releasing films such as Nat King Cole, Afraid of the Dark, The Most Dangerous Band in the World, and Beside Bowie, The Mick Ronson Story. Calling in from London, it's John Brewer. How are you, John? I'm fine. Very excited to have you and talk about your new film, which uh, is called Monochrome, Black, White, and Blue. You can jump right onto Amazon Prime as soon as we're done talking and see this. It is a three-part series about uh, the history of the blues, but it does much more by taking a bold step of starting the story of blues music out on a slave ship. So tell me about how you've decided to take the history of the people of America and the history of blues music and put them together in this in this uh, three-part film. Well, it was very simple. It's just that I made the B.B. King Life of Riley film and I, at, and I also pretty well at the same time was doing Nat King Cole, Afraid of the Dark and and I thought I knew everything about the blues until I actually stepped foot on the shores of of uh, of America and sat down in the south there and suddenly realized, my God, there's so much here that is so much so different to what I thought. Now I've been coming for coming backwards and forwards since the '60s uh, to to the U.S. So I've been around, and the fact was that. I just learned in that period of time so much um, going backwards that I just thought that, you know, something I didn't really understand what I thought I did, but I didn't really understand what the blues actually was and where it came from and the derivation of it. And I set about um, setting up a, a this series in order to basically uh, explain to people that like myself and uh, in general really of what my findings were and um, that's how it started so basically it was like being in New Orleans and um, you know we were researching as we were going along and we were filming what we were finding out what we needed to find out and then it went. The story went into the Civil War, and of course, the abolishment of of, um, uh, of slavery. And then I decided to take it a stage further and bring it up to date. And it's really the same thing. I mean, it's the the the, the field holler, you know, is crying out right to this very day with all this violence and basically um, the things that are going on in various parts of America and. How the music, whether it be blues or rap or whatever, hip hop or was uh, and still does affect um, the political situation and the political feeling. I think I could compare America like a big pot with a lid on it that is sizzling at this moment of time, and. That's what it was like back when, you know, way back in, in the days of slavery and what was happening in the South. So um, that's where how the series really sort of came about. When you ain't got no money, you got the blues. The plus side of poverty is that you sing about it. It's blues in its most natural state. The white South created a formal system of segregation. 
kill a mule, buy another one. Kill a nigga, hire another one. We are damaged people. We have been irreparably damaged. I have a dream today. Early on, uh, well, there there are some you know, the usual documentary talking heads, people for, who know all about the history of New Orleans and that kind of thing. But then suddenly, out of nowhere, there's Bono, and you realize it's going to go that route much more during the three hours you have gathered an impressive list of people to interview that includes not only bono but george thorogood joe bonamassa bill wyman slash carlos santana eric clapton john mayall buddy guy dr john bb king it's like a blues festival of names of people who show up to tell you about the history of this uh, great music and there's great archive footage as well chuck berry muddy waters and more uh, with a, a, a career in music as you've had, was there anyone you got you didn't expect? Or I mean, many of these people are probably your friends. You just give them a call, right? Well, uh, I, I I can't explain exactly what happened, but when I got involved with BB King, who was then alive, somehow I was accepted within certain fields. Um, and areas of music like on a different level. And although I knew a lot of these people in passing or whatever, you know, um, uh, they, they just seemed to respect the fact that B.B. King, The Life of Riley film was my calling card. And what happened was everybody wanted to know. And they were so... Um, they they believed I was flying and and and, they, and I was and I still am flying the flag um, for the literally for the blues and you know it's it's a difficult subject because a lot of people first of all this this music was not recognized at the time these guys were young people performing it was recognized in certain parts of America. It certainly wasn't really recognized until the American invasion of the Stones and Zeppelin and all these bands and the Kinks and people that came over. And we basically, some of these guys that were uh, blues artists that were playing in small little clubs suddenly came to England and they're playing in the Albert Hall. (laughs) And, you know, it was just like, wow, what happened? You know, somebody's recognized us. Well, it was a movement that had recognized it. And then basically you were getting out there and being made aware of what was on your doorstep. Now, many years later, I come along and I go, hang on a second. Somebody better tell everybody, whether you're American, English, Japanese, whatever, the story of how all this came about. And... You know, people go, oh, blues? Well, that's when you're really down and out, right? (laughs) No, it's not. It's the opposite, right? It's a rejoice. It's rejoicing. It's a language. It's something a lot better than people make out. And, you know, you can be a blues fanatic, but there's so much more to blues to learn every day with respect to new artists. I mean, now there are young people coming together and they're basically, they never basically, they never did any uh, slave time or basically uh, toiling the earth or whatever it was. What they did, or pu- plucking the cotton, they picked up a guitar and started playing blues. 
at the blues that we know about, and they studied and have studied musicians of how they played, and they, they've copied them and then they've created their own. You know, Joe Bonabasa, by the way, isn't that old. <laughs> no. And there's a lot of younger... There's a lot of younger people, too, to him. You know, um, Gary Clark Jr. is not that old. Yeah, he's great. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, hey, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a species of music which basically needs to be looked at in a different light. And that's why I made this film, and I think that everybody that took part realized what I was trying to get at. And I was trying to get out and say, this was the base. This is how it came about. And this is where it's going to. And we need to basically realize that different forms of music, which was basically only expression and the language. I mean, rap's a language. And blues is a language. And you need to basically relate. This isn't something that was created in the last five years. This was created a long time ago, and it's a different expression, but it's still the same, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, it didn't go from there wasn't blues music to suddenly there was. It was born out of all these experiences that you go over in the film. Like, if you're tuning in for a blues uh, documentary, the first hour mainly covers the slavery era, like the founding of New Orleans and how people, uh, you know, worked into that um, into the building of that city and and but then you realize it's all the context you need to see how the film how the music was born so it's uh it's fascinating in that respect and and not also to your point Ringo Starr shows up did I even mention you got a Beatle as well to be in the movie like <laughs> uh he mentions that Liverpool was a, a port city so that's how a lot of the music got to Liverpool from overseas and then, like you yeah. say, they turn around and bring it right back in the Stones. And actually, it's it's those bands that then make the music viable for white people back in the civil rights era when it was more difficult to to reach, you know, uh, people, you know, from the southern. It's easier to reach them from England than the southern states, which is crazy. Right. Well, of course, the ports um, ports carried news. I mean, that's been going back centuries and centuries. You know, when ships arrived, they they carried news, yeah. and they carried they carried uh, music and records. I mean, how do you think Mick Jagger and, and Keith Richards, you know, that are the Beatles, basically sit down? They used to exchange records with each other, and this had just come in, you know, and um, you know, and that's how that English invasion came about. They they wanted to get over to where they you know I'm just doing now the the um, Chuck Berry story, and um, he's another one. I mean you know he played music that he's the father of rock and roll, and that rock and roll didn't come about without the blues. And so you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting aspect. Everybody keeps saying oh yeah that's blues that's country that's R and B that's Hey, it's all it all came from um, the blues, and it was the beat. The beat is the beginning of that film. It's all relating to the drum, and that basically set the beat. And if you listen to rap today, you'll see and hear the beat, and that's what makes music. Well, I'm going to London in September for the first time, 
right. what is the what is like the top music related thing I should go and do or see? And I love all the music that's in this film. I love rock and and blues. I, I what's the thing I should go and see? And I'm going to go to Liverpool. That's a done deal. I got to see the the birthplace of right. the Beatles. But in London, what are, what's what should I go and do? Well, I mean, look, you, you know, people ask me this because basically, but if I turned the, the, the table and said, what's the, what's the best thing I should go and see if I come to Los Angeles or New York or whatever it is? And, you know, there's so many places and so many things. Liverpool was not the only place. You know, different bands came from different places like, you know, I was very involved with the making of Beside Bowie. Well, I produced and directed Beside Bowie. That, the band, the Spiders, came from Hull. That was another port, hmm. you know, and uh, way, way, way up north. And, um, you know, ports normally bring, uh, in, in those in the early days of the 60s and the late 50s, that records were coming into play, ex jukebox records and C, uh, not CDs, um, 45s, were coming in like uh, in droves. But in England today, it's still, you know, it's the festival season's just started, so you've got festivals all over the place. And um, that basically is what is happening over here now. But we have such a varied musical attraction over here um i'm sure it's you know everybody tries to compare what is it about england and america hey england's a little island america's a very 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 big island (laughs) and (laughs) yeah and you know it's just like um if you go to new orleans the music is concentrated there the music is concentrated you go work down Bourbon Street and you walk walk into the backs of the, and you're seeing musicians that are well-known musicians worldwide playing with their brothers or whatever they're playing with. But, you know, and, and, and it's sort of a, a restricted little area to a certain extent. We have those sort of places too. But um, to say what, what could you come and see here, you'll find everything in England. You'll find everything in London. Any type of music that you ever want to basically hear, you'll find in London. And uh, if you go out into the provinces, there are more bands playing out there than than you could ever imagine. It never, ever sleeps (laughs) and stops. Good. Good. That's what I look forward to. Now, as one who's worked (laughs) with Bowie and Yes and Bill Wyman and all these artists, what's the greatest concert you've ever seen? Oh, that's very, very, very difficult. Isn't it? <laughs> it uh, is. Yeah, that's a very difficult thing to say. Um, what was the best concert? Probably the Stones when I was a very young man and I was very full of um, uh, psychedelics and <laughs> I was at the Lyceum um, and the Stones were playing and the Lyceum was held about 3,000, 2,000 people. And um, the stage, uh, it was an old theater, so it was a revolving circular stage. And the uh, Stones came on, and they opened the roof of the theater. And there was artificial snow that came through. And it was a Christmas time. 
I think that was one of the greatest concerts I've ever been to and seen because they were so close and you felt so part of the band in the early, uh, well, at the late 60s, really. Um, but, you know, Bruce Springsteen, the greatest gig uh, with Bruce Springsteen was at the Roxy, and I was hanging from a rafter. <laughs> and boy, what a what a show that was. And I saw him at the Forum three days later, and I said, that, it was no comparison. Yeah. But... You know, um, there must be some you know, tremendous shows that I've been to. And I've just given you two of them, tried to post it, because two artists I had. I mean, I was involved with the Stones much later than that, um, with Nick Taylor and Bill Wyman. But the thing was that I was still a kid when I first saw that. So the other one was when Led Zeppelin at the Bath concert. That was another one because Led Zeppelin broke from, uh, broke at that concert, and that again was they came on just as the dawn was breaking and it was drizzling rain, and um, <laughs> that was something else. <laughs> yeah, that, those guys, I, did, that show they did in what was it oh seven where they got back together, uh, Led Zeppelin in London. Yeah. Uh, it, they looked yeah. Plant looked thirty years younger. I'm like these guys, why? Uh, why didn't they tour? I mean, I, they've always, obviously, obviously escaped my grasp of seeing them live. I would love to have done that, but c'est la vie, right? Well, the, the the reason they didn't didn't was because of Bonham. You yeah. see, Led Zeppelin was as you know, if they were still all together now, they would be touring for, uh, forever, just like the Stones are touring. You know, I mean. Isn't it a bit strange when you're essentially watching this 73-year-old man? <laughs> it's rather like going to a wedding and seeing your great-uncle on the dance floor with your niece. You know, his niece basically dancing, and you're going, what a funny dancer he is. And there's Mick Jagger dancing away, and his body's rising away to this. And they've got the songs, you see. But it's still weird, <laughs> you know. And, you know, uh, I think that in a way, as Robert Plant has said many times, yeah, it was great then, and let it rest now. I mean, if Jimmy wants to go out, he'll go out. If I want to go out, I'll go out. But Bonham really, that death of Bonham shook that band. And also the, the instances just before that happened shook the band. So, you know, um, I was at that show when they did the reunion. I thought it was a good show, but it wasn't the greatest show I've ever seen. The greatest one I saw of Led Zeppelin was Bath. And it was such an incredible, incredible happening because the sun was just coming up. And um, Wait, the, the, that's when we used to stay up all night. Oh, so the show went all night or the show started early? The show went all night. Oh, the show was a festival. It was a festival. Oh, and, um, you know, I don't know. They went on. They weren't headlining the show or anything. And uh, they just basically came on. And as the sun went up, uh I, I'll never forget. I could feel the rain coming down, and I kept going, "Wow!" You know, what I'm getting is down. it's going to rain so, a lot when I'm in London, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's uh, rain, oh, yeah. it rained today, but yeah. it, uh, hopefully it won't rain when you're here. You're coming the best time. Uh, two more questions. Um, do you ever want to make a narrative? You've made a number of successful docs. Do you want to make a narrative film at all in your career? Are you talking about? Uh, uh, just a, yes. a fiction, a fiction feature, or are you talking about basically a biopic type 
Either, either, either straight from the documentary, you know, if you want to tell the, like we have well, Bohemian Rhapsody well, coming out, right, with uh, the story of Queen, you yeah. want to make anything no, no, like okay. that? that that's, what, that's, that's why I asked the question. Well, yeah. we're making one, we're going to make the, uh, the biopic on, on um, Chuck Berry. Oh, that's not a documentary. I'm, I'm, making oh, okay. the docu- I'm making the documentary at this moment of time. Uh, once that's done and put to bed, we're going straight into the biopic, and that'll take about three years to put together. And um, yeah, yeah, I've I've always wanted to make a great biopic. Chuck Berry is a great subject to do that on. It's not an easy subject, I have to tell you, because um, you know, but he attracted a lot of problems, um, and he could have avoided a lot of those problems, but he just seemed to be. Like the the, the 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 kid at school that always got caught, but it wasn't he that him that started it, you know, and and he basically was such a tremendous influence that uh, on 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 music on bands. I mean, we wouldn't have had Zeppelin, we wouldn't have had uh, the Stones, we wouldn't have had the Beatles if it hadn't been for Chuck Berry. Yeah, Lennon loved him. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a very big statement. You might have had the Stones, but it wouldn't have been the Stones that we know today. Oh, it was a very, very big influence. Well, let me, let me ask you a question we ask everyone who, who I talk to. Um, what is your favorite movie of all time? Speaking of difficult questions, what's your favorite movie of all time? Uh, probably Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, great choice. First time I saw that was on the big screen. There was a yeah, well, you, you 30th can't anniversary or something? Yeah, you had to sit on the big screen. But when David Lean was in, alive. But I remember when um, Omar Sharif rode up on that horse on the horizon. And I went, what the hell is that? <laughs> There's a black speck. Yeah. And as he got closer and closer and closer and closer, I went, now that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and the blowing out of the match, the cutting to the mat, you know, the, the jump cut yeah, to the desert. And, you know, so many the, classic the, shots. The other thing was, I loved the bit that when um, Peter O'Toole walked into the bar and said uh, that he wanted a ginger beer or lemonade, a lemonade for the kid and himself. Two lemonades, please. <laughs> and they told him he couldn't bring the kid in, you know, to the bar. And he said, two lemonades and said, He's having a lemonade. <laughs> we just got through the desert. We just <laughs> yeah. walked through the desert. And we want a lemonade. And we're going to get it. And I loved all of that. I just thought Peter O'Toole was so fantastic. And the cinematography on that was so enormous and great. And you know how long ago that is? God knows how long ago that is. 62? Yeah, um, Something like that? They there? can't make films. They, they, they just don't make oh, oh, films. Oh, how lengthy it is, you mean? Like a three-hour movie? No, 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 concert. how long ago? Oh, yeah, okay, right, yeah, because it's both. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine with all those cameras, not like we have today where we can lift them with one hand and move them across. I just think they needed two or three men to move a camera in the middle of the sand dunes, you know. And I'm just thinking to myself, my God, you think about basically trying to make a budget keep within the budget. You know, it must have been horrendous. But everything, anyway, everything, Lee, filmmakers. Yeah, everything David Lean touched was was epic. You know, River Kwai, yeah. right, and Passage to India, and sort of Zhivago. Yeah. He didn't make anything small, really. I mean, occasionally, but no. mostly big, big movies. Yeah. 
All right, well, uh, once more, if you want to see another big movie, a three-hour... Was was your film released as a three-hour movie, or just the, uh, or well, the three one-hour thing? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, after I made the three-hour uh, three movie, um, and it was to be released really broadcast uh, on an hour-by-hour, um, they asked me to put together a 90-minute film. So uh, there's a 90-minute film coming out as well. Oh. And uh, it's, it's a reduced, le- uh, uh, obviously, length. And it's actually quite, it works quite well. I was very surprised, but it moves very fast. You know, I, I always think that when we go to the, the theater now, we go and sit in front of a film. And uh, if it really works, we want more. And if it doesn't work, well, we've had enough, we want to go anyway. So I, I always gauge gauge it in this way and I say well if you can sit there for three hours and you're still wanting more boy and uh, that was the case when we first showed that film everybody was in awe of the film and then I showed the 90 minutes and they you know to a different audience but it, it worked as well, but it's two different animals. But you should definitely try and catch the 90 minutes as well as the three hour one. But, you know, and of course, um, uh, you know, uh, what I'm trying to do now so that you know is I've dedicated my time to make, um, and thank God I'm being supported by artists alive or dead or their estates, to, to make um, uh, documentaries, but to package it with a soundtrack. And to package it in such a way that the music, because it's all about music, and get the record companies to support it in such a way that they release soundtracks and release basically um, the catalog and put catalog together in a different way. And so it becomes an event. And we're doing that now. We've just done it with Beside Bowie with the um, soundtrack, which I held the other day. It doesn't, it's not released till I think the 8th of June. I actually held the 12-inch vinyl, and I turned around to all my staff and said, guys, this is why I got into the music business. Because it was heavy, it looks great, <laughs> and it is an outstanding soundtrack. And uh, Bowie's, uh, there's three tracks of Bowie, um, legitimate Bowie, and there's a couple of tracks that he sings on with Mick Ronson, which, uh, like a Rolling Stone, is one of those tracks, the Bob Dylan song. And I have to tell you that uh, it's a screamer. You should definitely, definitely get out and go that soundtrack. And, of course, the film is out on DVD now, I think, just coming out. It's been out theatrically, now coming out on DVD. And um, that's what I'm trying to do, and I'm doing the same with Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry's coming out with a soundtrack and, and, and a new wealth of product um, behind him from catalog. And um, that's what I'm trying to put together. So it becomes not just one film, it becomes an event within product. Uh, you're right, there. I do have that note, June 8th, the Beside Bowie, the McRonson story June soundtrack. June 8th is coming yeah. out for Father's Day. It's finally coming out for Father's <laughs> Day. Well, you've, so you've, I'm not quite sure why, because there you go. Father's already heard it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a, a life in all the music I love, so I'm actually going to go right down your IMDb and try and catch all these with the, the music. You know, did a doc about Canyon Rock and Guns N' Roses, Hendrix. I mean, this is all right in my wheelhouse, so I'm going to go check them all out. 
at one point. And and again, okay, if you want to see and if you want to see monochrome black, white, and blue, head on over to Amazon Prime, and you can see uh, the the three part series uh, from John Brewer. Thanks for coming on. All right, thank you, my friend, and look me up when you come to England. <laughs> Absolutely, and as ever, you can find everything we're up to, including reviews, articles, and more at themovieguys.net. Thanks, John. Thanks, bye.